And so for a long time, I thought that I would never be able to work remotely because I thought, how am I ever going to do this? Like I'm teaching music lessons in person. I'm leading these classes in person. I'm overseeing these camps in person. Um, but it, it was actually surprisingly possible. And now looking back on it, it's like, oh, I could have made that happen much faster if I had known. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mick Krasovsky, and welcome to episode 84 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today, I'm joined by Casey Von Neumann, an educator and entrepreneur who helps families live the way they want to by providing custom educational solutions for kids and support for their parents. She is the founder of The Little Middle School, and you can check out her daily blog over at wearerulerless.com. During this interview, Casey and I got to talk about a topic that we have not discussed on this podcast before, education, specifically the future of education, how we can improve the education system in order to prepare kids for the world of tomorrow, and how we can adapt education to a remote lifestyle and actually improve their experience. I had a ton of fun talking with Casey, and I think you enjoy this interview as well. You can find all the show notes associated with this podcast over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 84. That's episode all spelled out, followed by the number 84. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive right into this conversation with Casey Von Newman. All right, well, Casey, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Mikko. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, really excited to have you on the podcast here today because you are actually the first person, I think, that we've ever had on this show that kind of deals with education and like remote learning and teaching kids uh, both uh, in a new way, as opposed to kind of like the old fashioned, the kind of like regular education style, but also in teaching online. So I'm really excited to talk to you. But first, uh, before we jump into that, we touched on a topic that I absolutely have to know more about before we hit record. And that's, you told me just a few minutes ago that your husband went to boat building school in Maine. And I like, you, you can't share that and then not expect me to ask something <laughs> about it. So how did that happen? And like, why did he want to go to boat building school? Well, so I'm originally from Maine and uh, he's originally from Dayton, Ohio. So I grew up on the water and I love the water and boats and the beach. And he's always just been like, I'm just going to stay inside and play video games and maybe go to the mountains. So he told me like, I will never live on the water and I will love, never live in Maine. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Cause we were living in Atlanta. It wasn't that big a deal. Um, but he started to get into woodworking. And um, so about a year into that, or it's actually just a few months into that, we, we went to Maine to visit my family. And then I was like, well, let me just show you a little more of Maine. So we spent a few days um, at a little cottage on a lake. And then we went to um, Rockland, Maine and did some exploring. It's a very tiny city in mid coast Maine. And we just went for a little stroll on this cloudy day and found this place called the apprentice shop, which specializes in traditional wooden boat building and seamanship. 
And we went in and we both just fell in love with the place. It was love at first sight, the way it smelled, the way it looked, the people, all of the boats they were working on. It was just amazing. And so my husband was like, oh, I have to do this. And so we thought, ah, someday we're not quite at the point where I can work remotely so that he can do that. He still had a job. And then a year later, we were like, yeah, let's do this now. Let's just make it work. So we did. And uh, so he's been in the program for a year now. There was a, um, a little bit of time off due to COVID, but right now he's actually on a sailing trip, sailing around all of the islands of the Penobscot Bay, which is right off the coast where we are. And uh, yeah, so he's built one boat and he's in the middle of building another one and learning all about it, learning to sail. It's been great. You said that you grew up around boats and I'm curious because I have a similar background. So I was, I was born and I grew up in Varna, Bulgaria, which is like right on the coast. And so I grew up with all these like sailor types and specifically the ones that would like go out on like really long, like merchant trips and they'd come back. And that was kind of like my first introduction to a world that was far bigger than like my little slice of the world, you know, like did being so close to that sort of lifestyle have any impact on the fact that you kind of didn't go into like a regular nine to five? I'm not sure if it really had to do so much with, um, being on the water, although there is definitely um, a rich history in my hometown. My hometown is York, Maine, which is in Southern Maine. Um, and there's a rich history there of lobster fishing, and um, but it's predominantly a tourist town. And so I did grow up with a sense that like you can always go get a job because there were always jobs for teenagers because they always needed someone to staff like the, the seafood restaurant, the ice cream shop and things like that. But I would say that the that I became an entrepreneur mostly from watching my parents because um, they were sort of always working different kinds of jobs. They mostly didn't have real jobs. They were either, my dad would sometimes work seasonal types of jobs, but he had a lot of um, sort of gig type jobs where he would, um, like he would buy and sell cars or he would, um, he was the balloon man in my hometown. So he would dress up as a- balloon man? Yeah, yeah, he would dress up as a clown and he would put you know so put clown makeup and funny clothes and he would bring a guitar and a bouquet of balloons and sing to people like on birthdays anniversaries whatever it was a huge hit um and he did it for years and even like 20 years later he was still getting calls like hey do you still do that balloon thing <laughs> so oh, you know, seeing that i never saw my parents get up in the morning and go to a real job so it sort of didn't even occur to me that i would ever have one and i kind of mm. didn't ever have one. So what did you, if you never had kind of like a regular job, like what was your education background and like, what did you, like, what did you do for work? Like, what was your plan? My degree was in music education. Um, and I thought I wanted to be like a singer songwriter, but I was like, yeah, I'll go to music school and then I'll just break out and be this amazing singer songwriter. That part didn't happen. Um, but I did become a music teacher. And so I lasted one year teaching in public school. And uh, that was, that was not a fit for me. Um, and so then I moved um, to a new city, moved down to Atlanta. And I was like, I'll just start teaching music lessons, because that's the thing I know how to do. And so within a few months, I was up and going and I would like wait tables, you know, at first when things were slow, and I didn't really know anybody. But um, but yeah, the jobs that I've had have been like being a teacher and being like waiting tables or working in like in a commercial kitchen, things where you have a lot of autonomy and you don't really have somebody who's like your boss standing over you telling you what to do. 
Um, so I was kind of gravitated toward those kinds of things. So started teaching music lessons um, and that um, I was well suited to that having kind of making my own schedule and doing my own marketing and uh, um, contracted with a couple different schools. And then that kind of grew into a thing where I was getting a lot of referrals. So that grew into my own music school, um, which exists to this day. It's called Eclectic Music. And we have a bunch of, bunch of teachers, a bunch of students. We've been able to keep things going even through COVID. The community is amazing. Um, and so and then, is, that like, um, yeah. is that like a physical location where you guys teach music lessons? It is. Um, it is. Um, of course, we haven't been there since March. Um, so it's kind of been sitting empty for six months. But, uh, um, but yeah, we have done like summer camps, group classes. Um, and so for a long time, I thought that I would never be able to work remotely because I thought, how am I ever going to do this? Like I'm, I'm teaching music lessons in person. I'm leading these classes in person. I'm overseeing these camps in person. Um, but it, it was actually surprisingly possible and now looking back on it it's like oh i could have made that happen much faster if i had known and what like made you want to start working remote anyways like it sounds like things are going pretty well you know you have this you know music school you have a booming business like why even go you know what i'm gonna take a hard 90 degree turn and figure <laughs> out how to do this remotely you know, doesn't it happen for a lot of us when we read the four hour work week and we're like, yes, this is my ticket out. And it was like, I liked my work, but there's always this thing inside me that was like wanting something different or wanting something more. Um, and maybe that comes from watching my dad go through all of these different jobs in order to provide for his four kids. And like, you know, when something was getting stale, he would just pivot, move to the next thing or start another thing. Uh, so it's hard to say what that is. Like, what is that motivation, that thing, that thing that makes us want to do that? Um, for me, it took the form of, well, I'll just start another thing and start another thing. And all of those things were still in-person things that sort of changed me to being in one place. But, um, but reading the four hour work week, um, inspired me to think, okay, some other people have done this. And then I started to meet people in the community of, of entrepreneurs who have been able to work remotely. And, and I was just attracted to that life. So I wanted to, um, I was sort of into the challenge of the game of how do I, how can I make this work for myself? Mm. What do you think about this? I, I read this quote recently and I don't know who said it, um, but I've had some of the conversations with my dad about this where like, there's this concept that it, as the, you know, AI continues to become like much better, uh, and starts taking over more jobs, essentially, there's going to be no more this concept of like a career. Like you might start out doing something and then in 10 years, that thing goes away and you need to almost like relearn something new. And then you might do that thing for 10 years and that career kind of gets cut out. And so the idea behind this quote was that like the new kind of like cutting edge, the new like thing that's going to keep people successful is going to be learning to relearn new things. And kind of watching your dad's background of kind of learning to learn new things in new businesses. What do you think about that? Like, what do you think is the sort of skill that it takes for somebody to kind of develop that muscle of like learning to relearn it and keep going in that? Oh, that's such an interesting question. I think that gets at a lot of, a lot of things that we assume that a career is about and a lot of things that we assume um, that maybe being an adult is about. Um, 
and really some of the things that we that we assume about what it means to learn and what it means to learn online. Um, I think that in terms of career, like we always have, um, I think Cal Newport calls it ca career capital. And like, these are the skills and knowledge that we gain that we can transfer to any discipline, regardless of the industry that we're in. So even if I spend 10 years working in a particular industry and that industry goes the way of, you know, the proverbial bu buggy whip manufacturers, um, then I can still take that the skills and knowledge that I have, and and if I've if I've looked at it through this lens of um, the that the problem solving skills and and not necessarily the domain specific knowledge, then I can then transfer that, and that's useful. Um, I think we run into trouble in our education system where we think that um, that we can just like learn something and like. Like a lot of people complain about like, oh, they don't teach you taxes. They don't teach you how to do your taxes in school. They don't teach you things that are actually useful. It's like, yes, they do. They teach you math, they teach you problem solving, or they're supposed to teach you all these things. Like the tax code changes every few months. Like we don't, right. that would be a complete waste of time to learn it. Um, it's a waste of time to learn things that you can figure out on your own. The point is to teach people how to figure out stuff on their own. And I, I think that's what I see with like, even the online schools, like, cool, you can just be taught by robots like the AI this, these adaptive curricula you can just park your kid in front of a computer and let the learning begin and the cool thing that I've seen well I think it's cool as a teacher but I think it's, it creates a lot of possibilities for all of us as learners and and um, and in our careers is that like you've got the problems are still going to be there. The, pro the problem where you're like, oh, I've done five problems and I've got 10 more and I don't want to do this anymore. Like you need the skill to work through that. You need the grit and you probably need a teacher or a coach to kind of support you through that process. So no matter what happens, like that, that ability to like overcome a problem doesn't go away. Even no matter how high tech things get, we're still human beings and we're still going to need a lot of those skills of like, how do I get this work done? How do I make that, manage my time? How do I manage my energy and all that kind of stuff? So people who can, people who have that ability and the, the ability to stick with something, even if they don't get it at first, those are going to be the really useful skills moving forward, I think. Yeah. And I also like, I've heard that so many times as well as like people who say like that school doesn't teach you these like real, like, I don't know what you want to call it, like taxes, like doing your taxes. And to me, the annoying part of that is that is such a small way of thinking because taxes are something that I can so easily hire somebody to do for me. Like your goal shouldn't be to know how to do that. It should be like, how do I create so much value in what I'm doing that it's not a problem for me to hire somebody, you know, to do something yeah. as simple as doing taxes. And to me, if schools transfer in a way where they're teaching you to do things like that, it's almost like, you're preparing our entire culture to get axed by AI. Cause those are the things that can be done by computers. Right. That's so true. That's so true. And I see that a lot with my students and with my employees. Um, I run, um, a small middle school program. Um, it's called the little middle school and, uh, that's also based in Atlanta. And so we have about 25 kids. Um, and then I've also started a online program and, and, what I see both with the students and the employees is that we have this tendency to think that when we're like grinding and working really hard and like doing like all of this complicated computation that 
like that that's virtuous and that that's worthwhile. And it's like, dude, a computer, I mean, a calculator can do that. If you're doing something a calculator can do, absolutely to your point, like you're going to be replaced by AI. The challenge is to like take what you're learning and then apply it in a way that you're solving a new kind of problem. Um, or just a problem you haven't seen before. And that is such a useful skill, but people hate doing that. School trains us to think that having the answer is the goal or being able to work really hard and show that you're somebody who's gonna work really hard is the goal. And we don't really teach people to think strategically in school. And so therefore they end up spending four hours on something that could have taken 20 minutes, but they think that the four hours is virtuous and worthwhile because that's what they've been trained by school mm. to believe. So how did you go from teaching music to then deciding, you know what, I'm going to start teaching middle schoolers and <laughs> out of all ages, middle schoolers, because if there is one age that I have like said, I will never teach, it's <laughs> definitely middle schoolers. So how did you like, why did you decide to go from music into kind of more um, like rounded, um, and by round that I mean like more of like a total education sort of thing versus just music and why middle schoolers specifically? Who can know the, the human heart? But I did kind of start to pay attention. Um, in, in Atlanta, they were doing this redistricting program in the public schools and there was a lot of chatter about it. And a lot of people were sort of becoming disillusioned and didn't want to send their kid to this giant public middle school that had like 1500 kids and trailers. And I said, well, I've got this building that's empty during the day because the music lessons don't get going until about 3 p.m. So, hey, if anybody wants to come learn with me, then I'd love to work with your kids. And middle school seemed like a sweet spot to me because high school is pretty specialized and elementary school, those kids need a lot of support. But the really fun thing about middle school is that they still have this sort of childlike enthusiasm, sense of wonder, interest in pleasing the adults, but they can do so much. Like they can, they can do things almost at an adult level in some cases, mm. surpassing an adult. So it's like this really nice mix of like, they can go run around and play on the playground, but like, you don't have to blow your noses for them. And like, they're, 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 they can be pretty independent. Um, like I've taken groups of kids to like Washington DC and St. Augustine, Florida. And like, we've, we've done some traveling together and like, they can, they can hang. It's a lot of fun. Um, so I just kind of floated that idea to hand, to a handful of parents. I said, if you know anyone who might be interested in this, let me know. And almost everyone I talked to said, oh, we'd be interested in something like that. We'd be interested in an alternative school. And so then it got going and that was, um, eight years ago. So we're, we're just starting our ninth year now. Yeah. And I think like maybe middle school is, I feel like by the time that p kids are in, in high school, even though I will fully, like, you can quote me on the fact that I think high school kids are still idiots. Like they're just not <laughs> fully formed yet, you know, but they are pretty like, it's like, it's not as easy to maybe like change their opinions in some way. Like they can, they're almost they're really undeveloped still as people. And I was certainly undeveloped as a human being as a high schooler, but there was, I still had like an identity or like I had a part of me that was already almost established while maybe, especially kind of the things that we're talking about that you, the skills that were taught in the 20th century to make you successful are not the skills that these kids are going to need to be successful. So do you feel like that's also a good time 
at a kid's age to start introducing them to kind of like these, like these new ideas that like, what's really important to learn is like how to learn and instead of just getting the grades right. Yeah, very much so. It's, it's been fascinating to me because these are some of the things like I kind of thought, cool, I'll just do this middle school program and it'll take us like two or three hours every morning to get through the academics and we'll be able to spend the afternoon wandering around the city and doing special projects. And, and what happened was the kids came to me and I realized that they didn't really know how to learn and they didn't know how to say, I'm interested in learning this. They, a lot of kids, and I've seen this to be true subsequently, like they come in already with these, these, this baggage basically of like wanting to be right, wanting to be fast or having given up on wanting to be right and wanting to be fast. And so they have, um, they already have this sense of like how smart they are, what their potential is and how they fit in. And yet, like you say, like I found the same thing. It's like high school kids, as they get older, there's, there's maybe they're not fully developed, like, but they, there's this intractability that you, you, they're not as interested and it's, it's appropriate, developmentally appropriate that they're not as interested in what the adults have to say. So there is this window you know, at age 11, 12, 13, where they will still listen. And though what I try to do and my team tries to do it is get in there in those moments and say, Hey, you know what? Like nobody's born knowing how to do this stuff. You can learn how to do it. If you're struggling with your time, there's other people who do that and they figure it out. If you're struggling with reading, people can figure that out. Like whatever you're struggling with, like, it doesn't mean that you can't learn. doesn't mean that you can't achieve the things you want to achieve. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Um, and, uh, and then that's, that's been a, a really helpful message to a lot of kids that we see that like, once they feel like we're on their side and we're going to kind of slow down a little bit and meet them where they are and help them with whatever they're struggling with, maybe something they've been struggling with for years and have been trying really hard to cover up so that nobody knows they're struggling. Um, there, there is a transformation that happens and um, they feel like they can relax and they can be themselves and, and find a sense of joy. And so many of us do not remember a sense of joy from middle school. We remember a sense of oppression and feeling desperate to fit in and feeling like beaten down all the time and bored or whatever. Um, it's amazing that if you actually engage kids in, in a way that they um, in the in the way that they want, which may be different for everybody, but um, there are some common threads that you can really see them kind of perk up and 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 start to invest in themselves in a different way and take ownership of their own education in a different way, um, which then is going to serve them all the way through high school and beyond. So it's it's really rewarding, um, and it, and it's definitely possible. And the older they get, it does get harder, but it's still possible. It's always possible, even for adults. <laughs> how do you um how do you train teachers to be the sort of people that can enable that in a kid because for me like I know how important good teachers are because I had an experience of both a terrible teacher who beforehand I was it was like a math teacher I think freshman or sophomore year of high school and beforehand I was like a you know a b math student like I always felt confident in my in my math skills and after his class, I was like a D student in math. And he was just constantly just terrible, name calling, all that kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, I had an amazing teacher in my biotechnology class who just like 
I think is the reason for why I do what I do now, because he kind of like, even though it's biotechnology kind of instilled this level of like entrepreneurship and curiosity and go ask questions and go learn and these sort of things. But how I feel like it's so like, how do you teach that? Like, how do you train your team to be the sort of teachers that, you know, are the good type of teachers and that are going to make feel kids, you know, feel comfortable and also like, you know, like wanting to learn that kind of stuff. It's, um, it's been way more of a challenge than I thought. Um, and I think the hardest part for me has been me and my own assumptions. Like it's the fact that I've had a hard time training the teachers is entirely to do with me. Um, because I have distinct ideas about what I think education should be and distinct, distinct ideas about what I want for my school. And I didn't examine those fully. So in the first few years, I just thought people would just, just get it. And they didn't get it because nobody can read my mind. Um, so I realized that I had to do a lot more work in getting extremely clear on what I do, why we do it, what we're for, um, what our values are. And, um, and then in going through that process, then it became a lot easier to then share that with the team. In order for it to work, the team, anybody who I'm trying to train really has to be able to get honest and look at their own experiences. There's a lot of tendencies that we have to look at the kids and see ourselves in them. That empathy is helpful, but if you're really thinking, mm, but that, that kid was me at age 12, it's like, no, that kid is that kid. And so you, you gotta be able to look at the kid who reminds you of a kid who bullied you, the kid who reminds you of a kid that you picked on, the kid who reminds you of the kid you were jealous of, the kid who reminds you of the, the kid who is your best friend, and let them be them and totally create a blank slate for yourself where you've let go of your own assumptions about how you fit in, kind of forgive yourself for the failings that you might have had as a student, whether they were academic or social or whatever. And then I've also found that there's a sense of humility needed to get into the subject matter. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of, um, in order to sort of teach something, even if you're trying to teach something relatively simple or like, hey, this is a third or fourth grade concept, I should be able to teach this, no problem. There's a depth that you have to get into as a teacher where you have to kind of get inside it and deconstruct it and kind of work it through in a, on a different level than you do when you're just learning it yourself. And that really pays off if you're willing to do it. But I've, I've encountered an attitude from some teachers where it's like, oh, cool, I already know this. Or, oh, no, no, I'm not going near that. And both of those things aren't really great ways of modeling for the students the kind of habits of mind and the habits of continual learning that we want them to demonstrate. So we have to be the examples of that as well. Um, and then one of our most important values is assume there's a reason where you know, if, if you walk into a class and you've got a kid who's like ornery and like yelling or, you know, lashes out or whatever, it's like, there's a moment as a teacher where you have a choice and you can just be like, young man, you sit down, very kind of top down. And what we teach our teachers to do is like, well, that's a person, that's a person with their own contact context and their own experiences. Let's go and be like, Hey, looks like you're having a hard time today what's going on. And when you, when you approach the situation that way, a lot of times you're building trust. And so you get this moment of like, Oh, 
well, I had a fight with my mom this morning and then I couldn't find my favorite shoes. And like, so they, you know, I forgot breakfast. You know, there, there is always a reason. And so even if you never know what that reason is, like if you kind of approach those interactions, assuming goodwill and kind of saying, Hey, you know, Hey kids, like we're going to have this great day today. I'm so happy that we're here together. I'm so happy that you're on board with this. Like they will, the kids respond to that and they, they respond mm. to that like positive energy and positive expectation. So, um, so I think it boils down to really treating everybody like people. And that's the, that's the thread that brings it all together. Um, but it's, it's surprisingly hard to do because we have our own hangups and think that someone's out to get us or whatever. And we have to work through all of that if we want to be effective as a teacher or as a learner. What are the, uh, the, the, like subjects that you guys teach at the school? And then also who are the teachers? Where do they come from and why have they chosen or why do they want to be teachers in your school? Um, so we're teaching all of the standard academic subjects, um, but then we're really working to, to do a little bit more with things that aren't necessarily considered to be traditional subjects. Um, like what, for example? Like the thinking about performance and like how to learn and how to grow and um, strategies that top athletes or musicians or artists use to, um, to stay on track or improve their performance. Um, engineering and applied science is something that isn't really taught in, it's increasingly taught in traditional school, but um, it's not what we normally consider one of the core academic subjects, but we're working to make an effort to include that. Um, and as far as the teachers, uh, most of them do not necessarily come from the traditional educational establishment. Um, there's sort of a racket that's been going on for about 100 years where we have teachers who are trained in teacher schools to be teachers and you have to be certified. So that means that if you're like a, a, um, an astrophysicist who's been working at NASA for 25 years and you decide to become a public school teacher, you can't. Um, and so it's kind of a bummer because we're depriving ourselves of this amazing brain trust of people who could come in as, as you know, visiting teachers or part-time or guest lecturers, whatever, um, or even full-time teachers who are going to sit there and do lunch duty. Um, one of the things that we're working on is like, can we sort of separate the, can we give the teachers basically de facto personal assistance so we can start to separate that so that, that the person who has um, a lot of training or skill or experience has somebody else to be their TA basically and do some of the administrative stuff so that they can focus on the higher level things, which is a little bit more of a, um, a uh, business or kind of corporate way of looking at it um, or maybe more like a college kind of way of looking at it. But um, just figuring out how we can um, bring in new people who want to learn how to teach and, and give them some, um, some more uh, entry-level types of tasks that are going to help them grow. And then that's also going to help them support the teachers who have more experience. Um, but I mean, I've got an anthropology major who ended up being an excellent math teacher. Um, I've got an artist who is our art teacher, but she's also an incredible project manager. So, you know, it's just really looking at the skills that people have and and finding a way to incorporate them. I hired someone to be a science teacher who 
has public school teaching experience, but I met her because she taught music at my music school. And now she's organizing like drama productions on Zoom for the kids. So you just never know what people are going to bring to it. It's a lot of fun. So I try to stay open. And credentials, I would say, are the least important aspect to me. <laughs> so before we kind of shift a little bit and talk more about the remote kind of teaching and that kind of stuff, I do have a question. This is like a I have, a, I have this question because it's like, it, I literally don't know what the answer is. Um, and I would love to get your opinion on that. And that is the concept of public school versus private school. So if, if somebody's listening, that's not in the U S I feel like this is like a very burning topic in the United States and it's burning inside of me as well, because I'm a big fan of public school. And I believe that public schools should be strong, that they should, you know, like be up to date and, you know, like I love public schools. I went to public school. However, I see a lot of problems with the public school system. And that's where like, and I, I was thinking about this recently too, like, okay, let's say I have a kid and in 10 years, I can either choose to send him to an alternative school like yours that are going to teach him a lot more of these tools versus sending him to a public school that maybe won't be able to do that. I'd probably rather send my kid to your school how, like, what do you think about that? How do we change, like, where does this conversation go in the future? How do we actually change and improve, you know, the schools in the U.S. and, and abroad in a way that they better align with the things that we're talking about, the things that kids really need? Oh, it's such an intense question. There's a lot of different ways to go from there. Um, the first thing is we certainly do have a huge problem with equity in the United States. Um, and you know, to be clear that basically that we have, we have people who grow up in poverty and are not, not in a position to be, be, to get out of poverty basically. Mm -hmm. And that that's, that school, um, is their best opportunity to get out of that. And yet their school might not be funded well enough or, um, have the resources they need in order to be able to. Um, it might not that. be equipped to actually help them do that. Right, right. Because really, because by the time a kid is five years old and starts kindergarten, it's already too late. They've already missed out on a lot of developmental um, opportunities. They've missed out on nutrition. They've missed out on vocabulary. This, mm -hmm. They've missed out on being read to potentially. Um, so, um, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge. And so, you know, we, all of us, like, we're solving the problems that we feel like we can solve, right? So it's that old, like, you know, the, the old man, like throwing the starfish back into the sea or whatever. And someone's like, there's so many starfish, you can't possibly save them all. And he's like, it makes a difference to this one, you know? So mm. it's like, he's saving the starfish that he can save. I don't consider myself to be like saving anyone, but I do think this is, I can offer what I'm offering to the people that I, that I can offer it. And I can try to solve the problem of systemic inequality or systemic racism um, in the entire country, but I don't know how to solve that problem right now. I don't have the resources mm -hmm. to solve that problem. What I am learning how to do is, can I make a difference for the kids that I'm serving? Can I make their education more effective? Can I teach them how to take ownership of their education? Can I teach them how to learn? Can I give them this opportunity to start ninth grade feeling confident in themselves and, and feeling like they, they have what it takes to succeed. And over time, I would love to learn how to be able to offer that to more 
people um, or contribute in, in broader ways in, I mean, the public schools have an incredible role and like they're doing things that I could never do. Like the public schools are feeding kids like that they, they might feed the kids mm -hmm. breakfast and lunch. And those are the only meals that those kids have in a day. And so it's incredibly important. And we've seen through COVID the degree to which we depend on these public schools to be a social safety net and all of the problems that are caused by not having that right now. So, you know, I'd love to see um, more social programs for, um, you know, whether they're government funded or privately funded where we're, um, where we're addressing the, the issues of poverty for very young children, because if you, if you, if you address it when they're babies, then they, they have that much more of a chance that by the time they're five, they have the same vocabulary as the kids who maybe come from the other side of town and have, were, were read to and had regular meals every single day. Um, and, uh, or whose parents speak English. I mean, it's, it's you know, there's, there's so many different ways that we can address the, the challenges or there's so many different challenges that people can have that make it difficult for them to, to participate that and if somebody's behind in first or second kindergarten, you know, early years, then it's, it's hard to get them caught up. We can have the programs that get them caught up, but you know, and what I'm seeing is a lot of kids who have a very privilege um, and they're still struggling. They're struggling with their self-worth. They're struggling with their math skills. Um, so those are the problems that I'm, that I'm used to solving. And I'd love to expand my capacity to solve those problems in different ways. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how to completely revise the, the existing establishment. But I do know that like, one of the things I think about a lot is like, well, it's only been around for however many years, hundred years. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many problems that cars have caused and you think cars have been around for 120 something years. Like before that we had the railroads. Now those are all gone. And maybe at some point we look around and like, society is, is organized not around cars anymore, but around something else. Um, so, you know, I think it's a bigger vision like that, that is going to make the change where we go, oh, well, we've had this for a long time. Now we're having this weird kind of going back to the one room schoolhouse where you have all these, these pods um, that people have done during the pandemic of like getting like six or eight kids together and like with a teacher and like, mm. who's, nobody saw that coming. And that, that will contribute to the inequity down the line. And that's a problem. And on the other hand, it's also helpful to see the innovation happening. Um, so I don't have any good answers to it. I don't, I don't have the problem, like the solution to fix these, these big problems. But I'm definitely paying attention, learning what I can, reading what I can, um, and, uh, and, and trying to contribute what I can as we move forward. Yeah, it blows my mind that like this, like like I said, like I was so excited to talk to you because education is one of these things that I'm really, really passionate about. But like yourself, I'm like, I don't I, I don't have the capacity to do anything about that right now. Like maybe one day down the road, I'd love to help. But it is still something that like just baffles me because for me, education solves all problems. Like you want to solve 
you know, climate change, you want to solve any sort of problems that are happening in society, the answer is education, because while you might not have the answer, you do your job in education, the kids that grow up are going to solve the problem. So for me, it's like, I just like, I like for me, it's like, this is the number one problem. Like, you know what I mean? If you fix that, everything else will solve itself down the road. So that's why I'm so, uh, you know, like, proud that you're doing this. And I'm so excited that you're kind of working and, and, and kind of doing things differently, because I think that's where, you know, answers are going to come from. So uh, I want to applaud you for that. And, and, and thank you for doing that. I do want to shift a little bit about um, talking about kind of remote schooling, because I think that's the other side of the future, right? Like as like a remote work fan, as an entrepreneur, who's like really passionate about the location independent thing, I am curious, how does education shift as I think more and more parents possibly go remote, more and more families decide to be maybe not nomadic, but moving around from place to place more. How does education shift and how are you guys sort of addressing that as, you know, now there's been a little bit of a practice with COVID? Yeah, there's, there's a ton of potential there. Um, I've been working with families who are um, thinking of homeschooling. So I'll go anywhere from like, hey, I'll, I'll help you put together a homeschooling program to, hey, we'd love to homeschool, but we're both working full-time on our businesses. And so we would like a school program that aligns with our values, but we want someone else to deliver it. And so we can accommodate that as well. So sort of doing like custom curricula and a custom program for people. Um, and the, the, the challenge there is to help people expand the possibilities for what they think that online education can be. Because frankly, the first few months of the pandemic, um, it, it wasn't a good look for online education because you have all these people who have never done it before trying to do it en masse. And, and of course it wasn't gonna be successful. Like the nature of a large institution is that it's really good at being stable and staying the same. They can't turn on a dime. You know, if, if uh, the Kodak Corporation couldn't suddenly pivot to digital cameras, how are all of the nation's public schools gonna be able to just, you know, snap their fingers and, right. and, and make online education work? Um, so part of it is just questioning what we think of as online education. Um, questioning the the tendency that we might have to try to replicate the classroom um, and have like all of these synchronous like hey but you were sitting in class in the back of the room being bored now you're gonna sit on zoom and be bored um, it just doesn't have to be that and way play video games on the other screen right <laughs> right have your other window open yeah, yeah. Um, so there's so it's it's a game of sort of questioning how we think it needs to be and and so that is playing with ideas of making it asynchronous, playing with ideas of saying, okay, maybe this is quote unquote online school, but what I'm actually gonna do is give you an assignment that is delivered online, but then you're gonna complete in the real world. And then you're just gonna report back online how it went. Mm. Um, so that might be like, here's, you take three minutes to, to get the directions for this assignment, and then you're outside collecting leaves and comparing the different structures of the leaves and classifying them and then drawing them and you know using a dichotomous key to organize them and then you come back and say okay well here's what i learned like net time five minutes online at the beginning an hour of doing stuff and then 10 minutes of writing up what you learned online 
So that's a very different approach to online education than I'm going to sit there in a, in, you know, in front of a screen and listen to someone talk. We already know that just listening to someone talk isn't how you learn. Like you have to engage with it. Everyone, everyone who's listening to this podcast is also engaging. Like they're not just sitting and listening. They're listening because they're interested in these topics. So they're sitting here going, Hmm, do I agree with Casey on this? Do I agree like about that or how, what would I add to the conversation? And that's, that's actually the process of learning. So how can we foster that um, instead of just the passion, passive consumption of just, I'm just going to sit back and let the knowledge wash over me. We all know that that doesn't work already. So it's been a lot of fun to think about how we can redesign things and look at the pitfalls of like, okay, well, cool. You ended up on YouTube. So how do we prevent that from happening? Or how do we, address that because it's going to be a really important lifelong skill to know that you can open a tab at any moment and to resist that. Those of us who work on computers always have to figure that out. So, um, so it's a lot of, yeah, if you have any of- lessons on that, send them <laughs> over because I definitely skipped that part of class. <laughs> Give yourself a cookie when you do the work. Um, that's, <laughs> you gotta have those rewards built in. That's, that's one of the things that I learned. Um, but yeah, these are these, this is the reality of this is the world that they're always going to live in from now on. Like they are always going to have these digital tools. So mm-hmm. let's teach them how to use them and let's teach them how to make the most of them. And let's teach them how to use them as jumping off points for doing stuff in real life, not just having an online life. Yeah. It's, uh, so I've been using this app recently. I've heard about it for like a long time, but I just recently started using, it's called forest. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before mm-hmm. where basically it's like a Pomodoro timer, but you let it run. And then it, for every, like the amount of time that you stay working, it grows like a little tree. But then if Ooh. you go and do something else, the tree withers or like dies completely. If you like switch screens or whatever, so it's on your phone, but and then, you know, if you do complete it, it sort of like rewards you with like, here's your forest and you can see like your little plot and you can like kind of see the one withered tree where you went on Instagram or something. But the thing about that is that it's only worth as much as you value it. So like if I right. wanted to, right, like I can totally cheat the system, but it's this interesting thing of like, I know that I can cheat this and I know that I can, like, I found the loopholes, you know, but like, how do you make, like, how are you? strong-willed enough to to keep it valuable if that makes sense yeah uh, that sounds brilliant and i think you hit upon something really important talking about that like yeah you can you can game the system but like what's the what's the point of that and i that's where we spend a lot of time um, and energy really figuring out how to get that point across this idea that like i'm not giving you this work because I'm some mean old person who like just wants to make you slave away. I like everything that you're doing is because I'm helping you grow. I'm helping you develop your brain. I'm helping you reach your goals. So what are your goals? So the more we can connect it to their goals, the better. And for the younger, the child, um, the more short-term those goals will be like, cool, you get to do this and then you get to go play outside. But as kids get older, we want to give them more of the sense of like, hey, this is where this could go for you. And this is what this is about. So that as you're doing the thing, it isn't just that I want to make the forest grow or whatever, or I just want to get the cookie, but also I want to do this because of how it's going to feel when I have it done. Or I want to do this because if I check this box, this box, this box, this box, then I'm done with this chapter. Do that enough. Now I'm done with the course. Then I get to do the next course. And 
and that is building my credentials and my um, my skills and knowledge for the vision that I have for where I want to go in the future. Um, so the more we can involve students in that conversation, the better. And then for ourselves, the more we can kind of connect whatever we're doing to the long term. And if we don't see that long term benefit, and we're sort of not not excited about what we're doing, then like we do have the ability to question whether or not it's the right thing. Or like you were saying before, like, well, can I just hire someone to do this for me? Mm. Um, whatever the, the misery is that we're, that we're doing, is, is there a way out? <laughs> and, and that's the key to, the, to, to successful entrepreneurship is to realize that we can question all of that. What about like specifically traveling with kids who are learning? Because I hear, and I don't know if this is true. This is just something that, so we have family friends who spent like, I think five years living on a sailboat in the Caribbean and they had their kid with, with them. And she was, I don't know, like 11, 12, like she must've been right around the middle, middle school age. And what I heard supposedly is that her curriculum was based on where they were in the Caribbean. So like, if she's studying something biology wise, maybe somehow it referenced something that she could actually go into the water and like see. And I thought, I don't know if that's real. I might be lying, but I thought that that was so cool because I'm like, okay, what does that look like? Not just for biology. Like what could that look like for other subjects that you sort of like almost focus on like, oh, you're in France. Let's learn about art because you can go and see it, you know, or something like that. How does education change as kids are constantly traveling and is there any way to bring that travel into it to kind of like you were saying like make it real like hey this is why you're learning uh it's it's so that's so much fun and i mean and really that's what i'm doing like as an educator that's something that i can help families with so that's something mm. where like as an educator that is what i do is is take whatever the potential things would be and say, this is how we can turn this into a lesson, or this is how we can turn it into a lesson without ruining it for the kid. Uh, this is how we can expand on this. This is how it connects to these different topics. Um, this is how it connects to what they're quote unquote supposed to be learning this year. Um, and of course, people can do that without specialized training too, but that's, that's my passion is, is, is mm -hmm. doing that stuff. Um, and I think it's definitely possible. I mean, you have an, a, a widespread audience, so I can't speak to what happens in every locality. Some areas are much stricter about what kids have to learn and when. But in the United States, we have a lot of freedom. Um, it, it does vary state by state, but there's, um, in a lot of states, there's a lot of freedom about what kids can learn and when. Um, the idea that there's this checklist that like, here's all the, the boxes you have to tick for this year versus this year versus this year, it's sort of not true um, because there's a lot of different ways to kind of get, get some of these things um, in a different context, like you're saying. So this idea of like, gosh, the, the, the Caribbean has such biodiversity, has such a rich history. There's like, there's so much there. Um, and there's also a ton of like the arts, literature, all kinds of different ways that you can integrate just about any subject in, mm. into the work. Um, so that, that takes a lot of creativity, it takes a lot of energy on the part of the parent, but can absolutely, absolutely be done. And I think that goes to sort of a broader conversation about like that every family really, if there's any overarching goal that I have as an educator, it's to empower families to have the kind of lifestyle they want. 
um, mm. that one of the things that people have done by the time they've figured out how to work remotely is like, they've like freed themselves from this sort of traditional nine to five thing. They may be running their own business. They've, they've sort of flouted the convention of maybe having a, a traditional home with a mortgage, like they're traveling light. There's so many things that they've done. And now do they really want to indoctrinate their kid into the same program that they've spent like a decade or two trying to free themselves from in order to see more possibilities? Um, probably not. So, so, the, so a family can say, this is what we want our life to look like. This is how we want school to fit into our lives. This is how we want our kids to be able to think. This is what we want them to be able to see. This is how we want them to be able to read the paper and think and evaluate the stories that they're seeing. This is the, the lens. This is the framework of our family's values that we want to, that we want to support. Um, and, and so then they get to make those choices. And so they can say, yeah, we're going to do school on the beach every day. Um, or they can say, nope, in our family, we're going to do 90 minutes of book work and then we're going to go on the beach or we're going to mm -hmm. travel. We're going to, you know, there's, there's some, there are no rules. You get to set your own rules, which is kind of scary, but also creates a ton of possibility. Um, so I definitely encourage any parents to explore that and to, to kind of question, um, some of these traditional sequences and traditional frameworks because, um, it's really rewarding and you probably learn a lot. You learn all this stuff that like, oh man, I totally missed that in school. I took biology, but I don't remember how this works. And then you learn along with your kid, which is, um, which is a lot of fun. That's such a great point about the fact that it doesn't even need to be like the subject doesn't even need to be so specific to like, like, you know, biology and you're in the Caribbean, you dive in there and you see the, the thing, because like, that was such a great point, like literature where I immediately, like I read a lot of Hemingway growing up and I'm just rereading, not rereading, but started reading one that I haven't read before called, I think it's called In Our Time. And I was just up in uh, the upper peninsula of Michigan and I'm reading this book and I'm like, I'm pretty sure this guy's in Michigan. Like I'm like reading, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is where he is. And lo and behold, he mentions Mancelona, Michigan. And I passed through Mancelona, Michigan. And I was like, this is and like, I just remembered it. It'd be so great if you could like, all right, well, you're in the Bahamas. So let's read instead of Charles Dickens, let's read Hemingway that takes place there. And it's gonna be so much more interesting. It's gonna be so much more fun and valuable as a reading lesson. Or study the the Bahamian culture and, and the artists, musicians, writers, mm -hmm. thinkers there. Um, you know, because that's that's also um getting into um sort of expanding the possibilities of, for the different voices that you can hear. Um because especially if you're there too and going to those local museums, you know, when that's safe again to do that um, and, you know, and, and visiting those local art galleries um, and taking in the local music. Um, there's um, just about anywhere in the, in, on the planet is going to have, um, you know, is going to have its own culture that's, that, that you'll find if you, if you, dig into it. But of course, like the Caribbean has like indigenous cultures mixing, mixing with European cultures, mixing with um, the enslaved people who had, who came over against their will from, mm -hmm. from Africa, but then were able to, to contribute so much um, to, I mean, you know, it's fascinating. You start digging, it's like, there's no hip hop without the Caribbean. Like it comes directly from there, you know? So it's just, just totally mm -hmm. fascinating to me how all those threads connect. And you can get that even if you're not traveling, um, but traveling 
it just, just brings it, it just makes it that much more memorable and gives that much more of a context where it doesn't feel like school because it's like right. you're having an experience that isn't, um, that, that's, that's, uh, 360 degrees and, and fully immersive. So that is, is super memorable to kids to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of in wrapping up, um, I want to be respectful of your time, but I have to ask one of the things, you know, that kids learning online has been brought up with COVID as a question is like, well, they need to go back to the schools because they need to be together with other kids to learn like social, you know, whatever. What has been your experience with that? And how does that reflect to then also traveling? Because that is one of the things that when I've talked with um, a few people that I know who are parents who have been traveling with their kids with for long extended periods of time and then decide to kind of come back, it's a lot of times saying things like, I want to give the kid, I want to give my kid the opportunity to make friends and maybe like do sports. Um, and that's usually seems to be one of the big reasons why they come back or they stop traveling is because they feel like their kids aren't getting some version of like social upbringing or some, some way. What do you think about that? And with that in mind, like if more and more families are going sort of nomadic for some periods of time, how does that affect uh, education? Like what can we do to solve that problem without necessarily being in one place? Yeah. So for my own online school program, it was never designed to be like this sort of comprehensive. I mean, it's comprehensive academically, but like, I want the kids to be done by like noon, you know, mm -hmm. so that they can go out and play and they can do like one of my online students, like she's doing piano lessons and theater and she goes to church and she has her neighborhood kids and she does volleyball. Well, when COVID happened, she lost that entire list of things. And so online, again, online school is not the problem. The problem is a life that is now circumscribed to like your living room. Um, mm -hmm. And, and maybe your yard if you're lucky enough to have one. And so that like that to me is, is the bigger problem. So I do see a lot of kids who are really suffering right now because this is unnatural and um, the, the isolation takes its toll, especially like if they don't have brothers and sisters and sometimes even if they do have brothers and sisters. Um, so I think separating those things is important because if you have online school or remote school, it can be efficient so that then you can be back out in the world and actually interacting with humans, which is what we all need. I don't think kids always need to be with their age peers. I think that having lots of different healthy interactions with all kinds of different people is important. Um, but there also is a difference there between, and this is obviously a discussion often in the, in the, the nomad community um, or the, the community of, of remote entrepreneurs, people are traveling, like there's a difference between traveling, like in sort of continuously circumnavigating the globe versus living abroad and mm -hmm. like, okay, now we're going to live in Chiang Mai for a few months. Okay. Now we're going to live in Argentina for a few months. Um, I think it's, it is definitely important for families and for kids to have a sense of community, but you can have that anywhere. Um, and that might mean depending on the local laws that your kids might end up going to the local school. And so if you're going to be in a place for a year, then they're going to maybe go to the local school and do join the local sports teams and, and have that sense of community. Um, and it may be that somebody wants to move back to the States in order to have that for several years on end. It may be that some, okay, cool. We're going to do this during the school year, but then we're going to go abroad every summer. There's lots of different ways to do it. And again, it comes back to what your family's values are. 
Um, I do know of a family who like they, they had intended to travel the world and they, their daughter was like, hell no, I'm not doing this. And like, she, <laughs> she basically wouldn't get on the plane at age like 11 or 12. So like the rest of the family had this dream and she was like, nope, but she's part of the family too. So they weren't able to reach a compromise. And so they, they did not travel. They just take trips without her basically. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, everybody has to sort of figure out what works for them. And um, but I don't, I don't agree that kids have to necessarily be in this cohort of hundreds of kids that they're, that are their exact chronological age. I see such a benefit to mixed age friendships and relationships. Um, and I think the biggest thing is more about having a sense of community and that's been really difficult in, in COVID. Um, but whatever way we can find community, even if it's just standing in the driveway, six feet apart. Um, that's what's really important um, on letting the kids play, you know, ride bikes and stuff, you know, if, if that can be done safely, that's so important, um, you know, to give them the stamina to get through this. Um, but I think, I think it can be done um, in a lot of different contexts in terms of like remote work, digital nomadism, all kinds of different um, frameworks for that. Yeah. And I also think it's, like there's always two ways of looking at things, right? So like, yeah, in some ways, maybe they don't get to have the same childhood friend that they grew up with on the same street for 18 years or whatever. But on the flip side, if you're, you know, maybe moving every six months, like your kid will develop friendships with people from all over the world. And as long as you instill in them or teach them how to, um, kind of check in with people and make sure they keep the relationships they build. Like to me, that's like awesome. Like imagine growing up and having 12 friends in 12 different countries and being like, well, next month I'm going to Japan because my, my buddy in Japan's there and I'm gonna go visit him. Like that can be such an amazing experience as well. That's just, there's no like better or worse. It's just a different experience and a different sort of um, community and platform to build your life off of. Um, but Casey, I want to say thank you so much for, coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Where can people find out more about you, about your schools and everything else that you're doing? Thank you. This is, this has been a lot of fun. Um, a lot of my favorite topics to discuss here. So thank you so much. Um, I blog every weekday at wearerulerless.com. And, uh, so you can find out more about my programming there as well. Um, the little middle school is at thelittlemiddleschool.com. Um, yeah, but most of my online stuff is at wearerulerless.com. Not on social media too much, um, but uh, but trying to put my put my thoughts out there every day and commit to that daily blogging thing. So I'd love to hear from people. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm going to have links to all of that on the website. So uh, if you want to go check that out, uh, please head over to the website and it'll be right there. Casey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. That was a lot of fun.